everyone. Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio, featuring the crew, where a former pro football player and a D3 all-star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but. Now here's John and Tex. Hey, Power Athlete Nation. Welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio, where we take questions and we give answers. Uh, we typically do this through our hotline, which if you're interested in leaving us a, a, a question on the hotline, you can reach out at 929-464-464-0. 929-ing-ing. Zero. Yeah. Just call up, leave us a message. You can drop us a text. Um, I did hear a rumor that they will accept some smoke signals. So if you know how to work one of those, you're going to need a wet blanket and a big fire and you can send us smoke signals. So, but we're going to deviate slightly for episode 520. Because we have Dr. Matt Zanis here. Hey, Doc. How are you doing? Pretty good, John. Thanks for having me yeah. here again. Okay. And uh, I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Chris McQuilkin, a.k.a. Uh, Tex. Howdy. Oh. Just want to do tagline. Oh, howdy. Why aren't there two howdies? Like, howdy, howdy? Yeah. Like, like ahoy, ahoy? Or, or howdy, duty? Well, then I'd be calling you duty. I don't think that's very appropriate, John. Oh. Well, uh, I mean, wasn't that one? Like, oh, howdy, duty. Wasn't that a, a puppet? No idea. Yeah, maybe it's before before all of our times. Uh, nevertheless, uh, Doctor Zanis reached out to some of his colleagues mm-hmm. and pulled a couple questions and brought them to us. And so we're going to ask and answer some of those. So what do you got, Doc? Well, this is the second one I'm doing now, so I am feeling a little bit like Alex Trebek from Jeopardy. Can I take communication for a hundred, please? Oh, I like it. Yeah. So this question is on communication. So what is the current state of communication, and why is there so much fear? around speaking your mind? Big question. Yeah, that is a big question. Timely question, too. Um, Communication how? Using our platform to share our thoughts and feelings? Or in the office? I think there's a lot of unconventional communication happening today that we've never seen in the past. I mean, think about podcasts. Think about social media. I mean, as as we were kind of talking, like, what did this thing look like pre-social media? You know, uh, if you were an NFL player, uh, ESPN and the and the ticker at the bottom was like, you know, the end all be all. But now you have situations where you know players are, uh, you know, providing information, and there's uh, you know, endless amounts of pages on Instagram and Twitter and this that's providing all this different kind of uh, back and forth. So. I really think we've seen an unconventional shift in communication just because there's so much more opportunity for people to report and, and uh, just interact. Yeah, I think everybody can use their voice nowadays, which is I think is great as well, but I don't think everybody is a great communicator either. I mean, I think we take it for granted. Does uh, This is a problem I have is um, everybody has a right to their opinion, but I don't believe that everybody's opinion has the same value. So, I mean, we, we get into this and I mean, I can say in like, a, um, you know, as it pertains to football, I listen to people constantly, um, that have no fucking idea what they're talking about and they're open to their opinion. But when it comes down to me having a conversation with them, I'm like, I don't remember, I don't value your opinion because I don't think you know what the fuck you're talking about. And it's like, well, you have to, you know, uh, you know, value my opinion. I'm like, I don't, you can have it, but I don't have to listen to it and I don't have to give it weight just because it's yours. Um, especially when it like, uh, also when it comes to strength conditioning or performance training or the stuff we do, like I'm sure people have their opinions and you're more than, uh, you know, entitled to your opinion, but it just because you have, it doesn't mean that I have to necessarily give it any weight if I don't think it's fucking valuable. Right. I think that comes down to respect. Like you don't have to agree with their opinion, but can you respectfully 
disagree. I think that that's a lot of uh, the problem right now too. Is people can't be dis- dis- can't be respectful about other people's opinions, and that's what I think leads us into trouble. And a lot of this fear that's associated with speaking your mind is—is uh, is the fear of speaking your mind really just kind of um, a fear of maybe call-out culture or cancel culture? Yeah, I think potentially. I think there, there's a lot of like, uh, especially like in a professional setting as well. Like I'm in, it, you know, you 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 say something and you feel like that if somebody takes it the wrong way, it could potentially be be the end of your business. It could be the end of your professional career. You can get fired. So give me an example. So, I mean, this is why, you know, they always say don't talk about um, politics and religion, right? Mm-hmm. Because everybody has a very specific viewpoint of that. Ever and, or just at like Thanksgiving? Well, I mean, uh, uh, I, I was kind of thinking like in, in your role, like uh, something that could be said in your arena uh, might not be construed as something like, like, let's say an athlete comes in or you're working with somebody and you're like, man, your glutes look great. <laughs> Right. And like your person could be like, oh, well, like, you know, here's something where they're, you know, been working on putting a big toe in the ground and, you know, they're, they've been suffering from glutenesia. Remember, we always talked about that. Like the glutes were somehow asleep. Because that's a real thing. Yeah. It's a yeah, total real thing. Uh, but now all of a sudden you're like, man, it looks like you're, you know, like when you're walking, like your glutes are moving and like it look, you, you look a lot more uh, put together than you did. Right. Like that would be a compliment that if you made now, if Texas out there and he's like, you really look like you're using your glutes, they look really put together. It might be. And he's at the bar. It might be considered, who knows, a little bit different. So, so well, I do. I think that I think that's yeah. applicable to both of us. Well, but I mean, that's that's situation in context. Situ- yes. Yeah. Situation in context. So I, I wonder in your situation, in your job or even in a commercial gym or, you know, let's say you're working with kids or whatnot. Things that we would think might be funny or a joke that maybe we would tell or maybe something that might have been funny 20 years ago today might be construed and next thing you know, you lose a job. Well, well, two things there. I think people are a lot more sensitive today than they were 20 years ago. Why is that? Oh, boy. I, you know, are, I, are people searching to be outraged? Like, that's what I feel like. I feel I th- like people are going think, out of their way to be outraged. I think, I think it's a chemical imbalance. <laughs> I think you kind of you can get, get a high from it. As well, like you're just you kind of live in that mindset. Oh, right? well, that's you're, the science of the social media, right? People is. are liking it's or retweeting dopamine, 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 yeah. dopamine hit. Yeah, um, I think that that's one that's one side of it too. Uh, but then the other side of what was that question again? Sorry, John, say that one more time. <laughs> I completely forgot my other train of thought there. Oh, I'm um, sorry. Mm. I ruined. Blanked. I blanked. Ruined the flow state. It did really ruin, ruin the. the flow uh, you got it back? Mm-mm. I just go, want to go. say an interesting thing that I, I recall hearing. The first radio president, the first television president, and then the first social Twitter president. Mm-hmm. The We had FDR's fireside chats over the radio. Mm-hmm. Then JFK was the first president to, to stand and deliver a message on the television. Yep. And then we've, we've witnessed President Trump using social media as his his contact to the country. Well, there it is. It's a delivery. That's what I was searching for. I think it, it comes down to, you know, people's sensitivity to the, what is being uh, delivered as the message and then how you actually deliver the message and what kind of impact you're trying to have, right? Because I think that, you know, sometimes you bring up your example <laughs> of saying, you know, your glutes are looking real good. I could be a creeper about that and I think I could change the tone of my voice. And well, yeah, it's going to require you to have like a jean jacket with no shirt on that you're just picking your belly button and you're like hey your glutes look real good they look like they're firing real well get down they're nice and deep black yeah <laughs> hey that guy keeps paying justin to wash his car and he's like, well, great yeah that's a, oh, yeah. Uh, that's good yeah but uh like that's um 
that's like an interesting piece of like the communication factor. Like, uh, um, and we, we see this all too often. Uh, some person who's got like a different positioning says something, yeah. and then another person uh, in a different position says the exact same thing, and all of a sudden one is taken as good humor and joke, uh, and then another one is taken as like you know swords, and then the other one, which blows my mind constantly, is um, people I think search social media and the internet looking to be outraged by things. Uh, like if I like am scrolling through my social media and I see something I disagree with or something I don't like or whatever, I'll like read through it and I just go past it. Like I don't stop and, and it's, it's always amazing to me where people will see things like, um, I'll just give an example, like I have that, uh, Mark Ripto gave me the Texas Secede sticker. So it's a Texas flag that says Secede and when we ran into Rip, he gave us a couple and I put it on my truck and I posted a picture. And like some guys like outraged by it and I get into it with this guy, I'm like, so this picture is upsetting to you, why? Like the sticker, it's like good humored. Like, is Texas seceding? No. Is it kind of a funny piece? 100%. And, like, I just can't imagine, like, being so outraged that I would stop and leave a comment and want to engage somebody based off of seeing a bumper sticker. Yeah, so that, that brings up, can't people actually engage in satire anymore? Or is it dead? Uh. Well, I mean, that's a hard part. Like, irony and satire is completely lost to the point where, like, on the old cross of football boards, when people would get lambasted, I used to put on there all the time, I'm like, now just imagine this being said in person and us getting a good chuckle out of it instead of feeling that everything's a personal attack because there's no inference, there's no uh, satire, like there's no irony, like you, you know you can't, you know, ha- you know they they almost need like an emoji that you should put that like lets you know that this is going to be fucking joke a joke. Yeah, you, you should trademark that one, design it and trademark. Then get Hepton Soul on it. Ah, uh, yeah. I, I wonder what the uh, the, the uh, hey, this is like you, you might take this the wrong way, but just know I'm fucking kidding. Like, what is that emoji? And that would be a pretty good one to have. I mean, I, I think it's the up, upside down smiley face. Is that what we're going we're gonna to claim? Sure. Huh, I'll, yeah, I'll ask that what that yeah. means. I'll ask the Google. I'll check back in five. I just send uh, a lot of like purple eggplants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's definitely <laughs> taking the wrong way. Yeah. That, that'll, that'll get you fired. Yeah. Yeah. If you send uh, yeah. I mean, uh, so, so now is a situation where if you were to send somebody the wrong emoji, you could get fired? Potentially. Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Jesus. Yeah. You know, um, but the the Instagram algorithms they they search for that kind of stuff, oh, right? So they, dude, I nailed it. So careful, Emojipedia Phrasing. on Twitter. Uh, let's see, yellow smiley face turned upside down. Upside down face commonly conveys sarcasm, irony, humor, and st- silliness. So an upside down smiley face. There it is, nailed it. Tess. Boom. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I'll start putting. It those is before, frequently but... used in a playful indication of awkwardness, frustration ambivalence and bemused reg- resignation mm. so good old bemused with resignation. every comment that we say on this podcast shit assume upside down smiley face so why is it i mean is it um it's a, a situation where people are more outraged is it more content is there more information are there more things to be outraged about or is it the fact that uh people are just more sensitive today than they probably were maybe a hundred years ago and I really believe it's because we don't have enough hardships in our lives that I believe that people, because things have become so easy, things are so automated. Like, it's not like you're out, like, tilling the farm, trying to grow foods, you know, kill something, slot, you know, like, put meat on the table. You're working all day. I mean, for the most part, it's, I think, from uh, an absence and more, more importantly, boredom or just not having enough going on in your life. Like, I remember watching a pretty interesting story 
where they were talking about um, uh, this uh, a group that built all these schools in Africa. And these girls had to get up at three in the morning because they had to walk five miles to get fresh water and come back and then bring the water back. And then they had to walk like some god awful amount, like miles to the bus stop. And as they're going to the bus stop, they got to navigate like wild animals, uh, you know, potentially people to kidnap them. And like, like their day just trying to not only get water and get to school was so packed with like the amount they had to do that like, and then they had to get home. Like there's not much to worry about. Other, I mean, I'm sorry. They have a lot more to worry about more so than somebody's mean tweet on. So mean. essentially what you're saying is we wait too much time on our hands. Yeah. And, and not enough hardship. So yeah. I think what we do is when you don't have hardship or you have too much time on your hands, you go out and you find ways to create hardship. Well, it's not only hardship. It's a, a number of things to focus on. Family, uh, maybe they're focused on developing relationships and communication within the family. So not only problems, but also positive things within their social network that allow them to work on communication or teamwork or play. So not only the negative, but also positives to focus on for personal development that keep you away from just finding negative things to bitch and moan about. Oh, because that's what the that's what the algorithms are trying to push your way or all the negative things to incite a reaction, right? Yeah, but I mean, it, um, you know, we were talking about energy on the last podcast. Uh, what I find is that um, if I excuse me, if I allow myself to absorb too much of that negative energy, and there's too much of this like fucking craziness, it just fucks me up. And all of a sudden, it doesn't allow me to be a good father or run a good business or do everything. I think if anything. It just puts people into these like uh, like a whirlpool almost, and they just can't get out of it, and they just get stuck in these loops. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's just it's I don't know if it's by design or that's just how it works, but uh, like you're almost better to like not turn on the news. Um, I only really try to look at like my social media feed or like you know go through any of that stuff maybe once a day, mm-hmm. just because it's like uh, it, it's so overwhelming that you could just get stuck. And I think a lot of times where people were locked down with COVID where there was not a lot to do other than you know watch Netflix and hang out and you were stuck at home, I think it became the norm for people and people got more plugged in and this became their, their access to the world and their entertainment. And talk about a perfect storm to just you know, land-base people with useless information, right? Oh, yeah. Especially if you have an agenda behind it too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, I think, I think to your point too, um, it becomes a distraction. And then what we do is we utilize that as more of a way of becoming busy, right? right? Instead of actually being productive. So everybody, it's good. right? So everybody feels like they're, they're, they got no energy left by the end of the day. You can't be a good father, can't be a good husband, can't play your kids. You don't want to work out. Well, think about all the energy that you're wasting just mindlessly scrolling oh. Instagram. It's draining to you, extremely draining to you. Yeah, no. Um, the uh, the call-out culture is a pretty interesting one. Like we were talking about fear, like why people are afraid to express maybe what their true feelings are. Um, you know, the call-out culture is kind of interesting in that it's like the idea of nobody is safe. And I, I think it's, it, it's kind of valuable in some ways. I mean, we saw with the whole Mo- uh, Me Too movement and Harvey Weinstein uh, where these very powerful individuals had done some awful things to people. And because of the weight that they carried within their circle, they were kind of untouchable. And, uh, you know, like, uh, like all these stories where you would hear and you'd just be like, you know, who are they talking about? More importantly, like how come nothing ever happens? 
And then all of a sudden you get into this call-out culture where now all of a sudden they're you know calling people out here and now all of a sudden you have a guy like Harvey Weinstein behind bars because of that very deal. But what happens is everything that's good ends up getting weaponized into a bad way. Now all of a sudden you have a situation where, you know, it's very easy to, to start rile, you know, rallying different people in different ways uh, for a call-out culture. And I mean, the funny part is, is I don't ever remember this pre-social media. I don't know how you would have pulled this off social media, but like, you know, hashtags trend on Twitter and all of a sudden now like people start kind of globbing on and then they dogpile and dogpile and things can get pretty nasty. Um, you know, and then we've also seen that evolve into cancel culture. Well, thinking about how this would happen, it'd be like an investigative report and they'd, uh, they'd have to send somebody in undercover and muck rake a little bit. If you remember, uh, man, I'm trying to Good old muck raking. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the book that called out the, uh, the meat industry in the thirties and, uh, created like the the usda so there was good things yeah. that came of it back well, then well, i mean but but that was the uh the woodward and bernstein that was the investigative journal journalism all the president's men you know i mean that That's was a great point yeah i mean that was uh that was the job of the media i mean um you know the press and the media was uh, you know the fourth branch of of government the idea that there was a watchdog there to make sure that everybody's honest but unfortunately that's not the case anymore we have a situation where i mean like it was Upton Sinclair's The Jungle. That was the book I was thinking of. Yeah. And now, now we have a situation where, you know, no longer is, uh, you know, the media looking out for our best interests. So, you know, like to me, when I hear fear, I go you know, to the body and the physiological, uh, the physiological level with the brain, Ooh. right? And the emotions and how it responds. Fear innately is always um, a response to threat, right? So it's a survival strategy. And what happens when we are in fear? We shut down, we close off, we play small, we don't put ourselves out there. It's a protective mechanism. So I think um, when we talk about something like cancel culture and the fear around, you know, having your potentially your, your character smeared, your job taken away, your business destroyed, you're not going to put yourself out there. You're going to do the same thing that happens with fear of movement. You just stop moving, right? And I think that that is a very anti-productive um, result of what, we're, what we're, people are doing here with this type of thing. I mean, is that a form of con- uh, control and manipulation that, uh, you know, that you can manipulate and control people by forcing them to do nothing and act in a way that uh, to avoid something like this? I kind of, I, I visualize this as like pushing somebody into a corner, like a rat pushed into a corner. What's it going to do? It's going to react, right? Because it's got no um, other, no, no other options, mm-hmm. right? Because you've pushed it so far that the only option that it has is to fight back. Sure. Right. And that could be in a positive way or it could be in a not so positive way. And I always go back to another great book, A Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Mm. And he has one of my favorite lines in there is that between every stimulus and response is space. So it's, it's our job to create as much space as possible to be able to respond to a situation instead of react to that situation. Mm. Right. So what I, what I teach people to do um, from a coaching standpoint, it's through the breath like how can we slow down the breath how can we slow you down to actually think first and feel into your body versus just emotionally reacting because you're triggered yeah i mean the um you know the uh think before you speak you know i mean is uh, you yeah. know like like that cliche i mean people have always said it like you hear something take a deep breath think about how you're going to do it i mean the age old one too i mean how many times have i written a letter or an email to somebody 
felt better and then just deleted it. Oh, you're not supposed to send it? No. Shit. Like, there's a lot of times I wrote letters and emails that I was like, man, I think I like, and you, oh, you feel better writing it, putting it out. But I, I don't always know if, uh, um, I think when you get into a situation where everything is so reactive, everybody's reacting to everything and it's such a fast deal that a lot of times, and um, I don't know, maybe to a fault, uh, I'm slow to react. I like, as you guys know, I like think things through and I try to take things very, very cautiously and think through all of these problems because I've found in the past we just point and shoot, we end up running into more and more problems. With the, I like that quote, um, that book's on our intern reading list. I have it up in the locker. I had uh, Cole read it, but now i got to hand it off to our next guy. The With lacrosse practice and trying to empower the future, I pick one word and then bring it into the huddle at each practice, and then eventually this spells out words, like victory. So it would be an acronym. So vitality, and then the I in victory I chose was impact. So we decide how actions, calls, everything impacts us. We can put our head down and you know slam the stick, or we can use it if it's a negative thing. And then the positive, like we can't over-celebrate because it's on to the next play. So I like that leaving space. I'll go back to the book to then expand on that thought. But that was the I, the impact. You had empowering the kids to then they decide how they react to good and bad things. And then... You know, I want to turn it into a force. But, but here, here's, here's the problem is that the way the kids are reacting being so volatile is what they're seeing in their everyday. You True. Know, everything is such a, like a, this visceral violent reaction. Like they don't see level heads prevail. Like, like that's not what's, what's getting notoriety. That's not what's getting pushed. But I hope two hours a week is just enough to at least maybe like, plant the seed for the future. Yeah, like take a deep breath. Think this thing through. Don't be an idiot. You know, pull your don't head out of your idiot. ass. Yeah. Pull your head out of your ass. I don't use that maybe. Well, I, uh, time, uh, the, <laughs> and this is probably something that, uh, you know, in 2021 doesn't get said to kids a lot, but I remember as a young athlete hearing that, I don't know, I mean, directed at me, but also my teammates at least a dozen <laughs> times a day, pull your fucking head out of your ass. And, uh, it was like to the point where like, <laughs> You're like, man, I don't even know how I would do this. Why does he keep telling me to pull my head out of my ass? What is he trying to tell me? What yeah, does that mean? like, and and it was like, dude, you have like, uh, you're just an idiot. And like, there's a <laughs> uh, a age of kids where you are just little, like, just a, a moron. And uh, like, the pull your head out of your ass. My dad used to say it to us. Like, you get need to pull your head out of your ass. And like, uh, but today now kids would be uh, upraged. Like, I can't believe my coach told me that. And you're like, well, your head is up your ass. Is he right? Were they right? Is yeah, not literally, figuratively. That's something I get in my daughter. Right. Uh, like the uh, man, like um, the other problem too. And uh, we were talking about this communication is because it, now it's so easy to document every little thing. Like the fact that, like uh, you know, you'll see somebody, you know, uh, talking to somebody, and somebody's videoing. And you see all these kind of like drop in. Like there's so much. Like everything's safe for posterior now. That you got to be very, very calculating with what you're saying because not everybody's going to understand the context. They're only getting dropped in on like the one second, like, um, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, the George Floyd deal, you know, all of a sudden we, you know, like the, the video starts and, you know, you see this, you know, horrific deal with the guys got the knee on the back of the head. And, uh, like that's all we saw. We didn't see the two or three hours leading up to it. We also, we just get dropped this one clip and that was polarizing. 
Um, you know, not that the information before then makes it better or worse. It, uh, it is what it is, but we don't get to see any context. We just got to see the most polarizing, disgusting image of something. And I think that's where we get into this, where you know, no longer are people looking for information, they're looking for soundbots, they're looking to be outraged. And I think if uh, you know, we know anything to be true is when you go looking for something, you usually find it. Yeah, I, I think that being dropped into a situation like that is very dangerous, and it leads to a lot of impulsivity which is that emotional reaction that we were talking about. People don't have that time to create more space to actually respond in a logical, rational way. And I think that's one of the biggest problems um, that I see with communication surrounding literally everything going on right now from all the COVID stuff um, to the critical race theory and every kind of hot button topic is that you run into people who are either one or two categories. You're either nescient or you're ignorant. So nescient, meaning not knowing, like you break that word down, not in science, so not knowing information, which is great. I mean, that's fine. If you don't know, you don't know. Let me enlighten you maybe a little bit and provide some more information. But the minute you provide information and maybe even well-documented researched literature information and they choose to ignore it or not acknowledge it, that's what makes you ignorant. And those type ah. of people are, I think, very, very difficult to have conversations with. Right, because you're choosing, it's a choice, right? You're choosing not to acknowledge anything that I'm giving you and have a discussion about it, right? And that, that becomes a problem when we, when we bring in a lot of the science talk because science is supposed to be Socratic in nature, mm -hmm. right? It's supposed to be a discussion-based format. Any, everything that's going on right now is not very discussion-based because if somebody else has an opposing view, an opposing opinion to you, what happens? You get canceled. Sure. Or called out, yeah, but right. uh, we're blocked. But, we're blocked. But how come really? people can't yeah. have discourse? Like, like why is it that uh, if you and I disagree, that it has to go into this? Like, well, I have to win and burn everything to the ground, and that it has to turn like, like where is like the the civil discourse where like you know you and I can disagree on something, and still agree on other things? Like all of a sudden, this one point is now fucking daggers, right? I well, uh, to me, that comes down to conversation and discussion. Like, I think in a conversation, you're you're getting to the point where you know people have two different opposing views and there's this supposed expectation that there's going to be a winner or somebody's going to be right at the end versus a discussion there doesn't need to be a winner nobody needs to be right we're just having a conversation that it potentially gets us to make a decision that leads us in a different direction right but you have to come into it with the expectations that nobody is going to be that winner right because then if you communicate that ahead of time Nobody can be butthurt by mm -hmm. it, right? And then you're, you're coming at it with a more logical, rational thought rather than using emotions and triggers. You think um, maybe we're not evolving as thinkers deep enough that we can't... I mean, a, a, a big part of uh, you know being a rhetoric major, and especially when we would get into this argument stuff, like there was always a piece of like, you have to be able to put yourself in the position in the mind of your opponent. And if you're arguing something, you have to be able to understand their argument on a granular level and like that bit of empathy. And I think all too often, uh, because we are so quick to react that we don't put ourselves in the other person's situation and we don't think through, hey, this is where they're coming from. You know? And a lot of times, uh, whether it be, you know, you, you hear something or I, you know, regardless what's going on in the world. Uh, so I always try to put myself into the mind of the individual. And then when I, I listen to their argument or I listen to what they're necessarily putting out, and I find that I have been finding that increasingly difficult as some of the information that's coming out is almost a bridge too far for me to even fathom like 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 where this is coming from in this information 
does it make it difficult because you feel the other side of the argument or the table is, is not doing that? Not, uh, not empathizing with your opinion and experience? Well, it, it's, uh, I'll just give you an example. Like um, all of a sudden when you hear, you know, you read Rob Wolf and uh, uh, Diane, um, uh, you know, the uh, Sacred Cow book. And, you know, re- understanding, you know, Polyface Farms and Joel Saladin and, re- you know, we've had people on from the Savory Institute. Bobby Gill, yep. Yeah, really diving in on this idea of regenerative farming and that, like, you know, this is how you're going to fix this planet. You know, John Sapolsky we've had on, you know, understanding, like, these p- like these problems. And then you hear, you know, this uh, overly impassioned uh, vegan who's like, you know, meat is death and, you know, uh, we have we have to somehow save the planet by not eating meat and you're like well that actually is not the case because what's going to happen to those animals are we just all of a sudden not going to raise them like restorative farming and the agriculture that's being done is what regenerates the planet like i mean you're basically stripping the land of all of its nutrients by fucking planting beans and you know too much um you know pesticides and it's just like it like you read a book like sacred cow and it makes a ton of sense. You start looking at all the research and you go through it and you're like, this is how you fix the planet. And then you hear somebody who has this like completely polarizing other side of the argument. And you're like, I looked at everything and I can't even fathom where you're standing. You know? Well, I think it comes down to our biases though too with that. Like we all have our emotional biases. We all have a bias towards something that we're going to gravitate towards. Like, you know, with uh, the sacred cow stuff, like you're reading that book because I think you already intuitively agree with it. Yeah. Right. So that that makes it easy. Um, it does, still doesn't. It still doesn't. Um, well, it doesn't make it any less true. Right. It doesn't make it any well, less true either. Uh, I mean, uh, I've I've listened to people. Um, you know, uh, clean energy. Right. We all need uh, to drive electric cars. I'm like, okay. Now just go do a Google search and take what or and take a look at what happens when they strip mine for lithium and all the components for a battery and the destruction that that happens. Like like the production of the batteries and what it takes to build electric cars is far more damaging than what we are what's happening with fossil fuels. I mean the the cars today are so much cleaner, so much more well built. I mean it's it's like the carbon footprint and so the you know when, when you hear these you know things spun in such a way and you're like, ah, that's not the way. I mean, if, if we look at this from the outside veneer peering in, this looks like it makes sense. But when you dig into this and you unpack it, you realize that this is much more harmful to the environment mm-hmm. than anything else could happen. Right. I think that's that's the moment where you can interject some of that empathy, right, to have a discussion because you're, you're understanding their, their point of view d- despite your own perspective on that, right? And we were just looking at your, your deer head up there Perspective changes everything, right? Yeah. You didn't realize that it was the one side of the rack was four inches shorter until yeah. you put it above your head. Yeah, no, right? until I hung it on the wall next to the other side, I was like, holy hell, look, look how off that is and something I had not seen before on any other, any other mount. I think that's where we start to extinguish some of these highly emotional debates is just by offering a different perspective from which to view the topic. Right? It, it changes the, you know, the whole entire um, orientation because I think if you... This is what I like to do anyway. Anytime I get into a conversation, I try to enter it with the mindset of not being right. Mm. Right? So if you go into that, it kind of takes away the ego component of it. And then I think you're more open and receptive to the other information. That doesn't mean you necessarily have to agree with it. You could still uh, extinguish a lot of these volatile debates by just asking better questions. Right? And that's usually what happens. Like if you, if you read books on debate and argument, I know you had the rhetoric major, 
you just keep asking questions until the other person implodes himself. Sure. Right. Well, I mean, eventually people get frustrated. Frustrated and they become more emotional. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you win those it, arguments. Well, and, uh, you know, the, the, the first person that goes to uh, an emotional state in an argument usually loses. So, I mean, there's different things. Like, you know, you look at ethos, pathos, and logos, and you go through all the different kind of pieces. But when the argument all of a sudden goes from logical to emotional, where now all of a sudden people are making ad hominem attacks and they're attacking you as the individual, not necessarily the quality or of your character or the information which you're presenting, you've pretty much won that. And we see that all too often, especially on the internet, when you start providing people information or, you know, this. Like, the, you remember that dude, uh, the toes forward thing with the squatting? The, the sprinting. I mean, that yeah. turned in great content for yeah. us, so I'm not mad at it. Well, no, it, it was great content. But, like, as we just kept hammering that dude with just, like, factual information and providing more and more information, uh, the guy just eventually imploded because he was building his whole uh, his whole position on a house of cards. Mm-hmm. And then blocked. And blocked then he blocked us, us which yeah. is the ultimate, like, child fucking movement. And, um, you know, it's, uh, yeah. It's pretty hard. You just get people to keep exhibiting more of those logical fallacies, right? Uh, you brought up the term critical thinking uh, and asked the question, is that a, a big problem? I, I don't think that we're teaching it enough today either. Because if you think to how you went to school, I mean, regardless of the rhetoric major at Berkeley, we're taught what to think, not how to think. Yeah. Right? Even in, uh, in PT school, I actively joke that I'm trying to unlearn everything I was taught there. Well, but it's, because it's they... easier to just download information and to get a bunch of like uh, factory, you know, so the way our education system was designed was to create factory workers. Right. You know, just like, hey, can you come in? You know, can you, you know, can you sit in the line? Can you learn this information? Can we plug you in like a cog? And what I think is lost, and I, I, dis- I didn't understand this until I went to college, because high school is not necessarily like that, um, critical thinking is what you need to learn in education. Can you analyze both sides of this thing? Can you understand where this is coming from? Can I put a logical uh, argument together to disprove and prove, and then think critically and remove emotion from it? The problem is is that uh, social media and everything around us today is so emotionally charged you know, that uh, nobody is willing to have rational conversations. So how do we start to work past that, right? How do we take all these emotional individuals and allow them to... They need more exercise, dude. Uh, they need I, more reps, I, right? I, th- I think they, they need, need more, more exercise. <laughs> I think people need to get the fuck out, turn off the thing, and get out there and get more exercise and like actually go out and talk to their neighbors. Walk over and talk to your neighbor. And like, I mean, if you turn on the news, you would think that we're you know, at each other's throats. Like uh, mm-hmm. uh, Texas just passed a constitutional carry. And uh, Harry Heppenstall sends me something, and Harry's in the UK. You know, it makes it look like, uh, you know, in the UK, the way they were making it look, it's like that Texas is the Wild West, and we're a bunch of, you know, just giving everybody guns, and like, you know, but there's like 20 other states in this country that are constitutional carry. Arizona. Yeah, constitutional carry. You don't don't need a permit. And they have open carry here in Texas. Like, it's it's really weird. I mean, because I've had a concealed weapons permit for years. Um, It's like nothing's going to necessarily change. They're just changing the law in the books. But the, that perception is this idea that like, don't go to Texas. They all have guns. Well, uh, Texans already all have guns. So it's not that big a deal. Um, but just that perception and the way that people are being spun and not using critical thinking. And, you know, and then I s- provided to Harry and he's like, Oh, well, I'm like, yeah, but in the UK, like the way they're going to make it look is like Texas is this wild west state. Like you, you, you watch young guns, that's or uh, tombstone. That's what it's going to look like in Austin. 
Right. It, it's, um, it's just all the conditioning, what they're brought up to think, right, about a certain topic. Um, you know, it, it's, you brought up the physicality of just getting out there and exercising. I think that's great from a distraction standpoint. It gets you, well, not even distraction, but it takes you away from that potentially volatile situation that you're being fed all this information that you're going to react to. But I also think that we need more mental reps in as well. Like you have to train this critical thinking skill. It's like any other muscle in your body. Uh, and so I think a really good practice that I, I like to do on a monthly basis is take stuff that I think I know to be truthful and try and dismember it. Mm. Like how can I prove myself wrong? Mm-hmm. And then that, that gives you the, the I guess, the, the mental reps, the skills to learn how to dismantle your own arguments. Because if you can't critically think for yourself, that like the inner critic, I don't think that you can critically think with others, so in a team environment, or to be able to have a logical, rational conversation with somebody else. Mm. Well, you have to have the education too, the information. Yeah. Like if you're going to, you know, like whether we're going to argue the fine points of human movement or, you know, this and all these other pieces, you have to understand like the basic framework from which it, it comes from. And I think all too often, uh, and I've seen this all too often uh, with like whether it be, you know, regenerative farming, strength conditioning, performance, I mean, all this other stuff is that uh, there's a lot of things that feel right that aren't right. And people really cling to that feeling of like, well, you know, or this worked for me or this kind of this personal deal. But, you know, we were um, we were talking uh, off the podcast about research. And I always like the one Charles Falkman put out, which is if uh, you're waiting on the research to prove it, you can be 10 years behind the curve. So I think that as a critical thinker and as a forward thinker, you have to be able to make bets. You have to be able to you know, have an idea. You have to go out and test it, prove it, whatever. And if you're just waiting for the research to support it, you're going to be so far behind the curve that you're never even going to get started. Yeah. I think it's a beautiful summation yeah. of where we're at with things right now. Yeah. So more exercise, get out, meet your neighbors, uh, stop getting all your information from social media. And at the end of the day, uh, critical thinking is, uh, is I I think what people need to start focusing on and not being swayed by emotion. Um, this, uh, you know, the present climate is, feels so volatile and so emotional. Uh, you know, I, I think back on like the, the videos of people just screaming at the top of their lungs and crying when Trump was, was brought in and like just these visceral responses and being like, uh, it's only four years, you know, or, you know, people upset about Biden. I'm like, well, he's only going to be there for another, you know, 30 days once they, you know, <laughs> once they declare him, you know, <laughs> go in and give him some mental fitness testing and figure out that that guy's. Yeah. I don't know who's testing him. And <sighs> fudging no, all like numbers. this is a problem, man. Like, and, and, and I, I said it on a podcast, like, like uh, this is elderly abuse. Like, it's legitimately elderly abuse to like put him in a situation which is, is, is very unbecoming. Like the guy was our vice president and he was a, a sharp tack and like a, you know, a you know, lawmaker and a person of respect. And to see him in this situation, like, like long pauses in this and the guy's getting lost and you can see like that kind of like reptilian, almost like a, a look in his eye, you know, where he kind of comes out and, he's, and he can't focus his eyes. Like I'm looking at this and I'm like, this is awful. Like we're putting this old, this man who obviously doesn't have the mental fitness and I don't give a shit who you voted for, or what side you sit, Democrat, Republican, I don't give a shit. But like, as I'm seeing this, I'm like, like this is uh, elderly abuse that they're putting this man in this situation. Like it's fucking, it, it, like it's, it's stealing dignity and it's undignifying. Like when he fell up those stairs, mm-hmm. he kept falling, he couldn't even walk up the stairs. And I'm like, this is how you want to be remembered. Like to me, it's um, like like uh, 
you know, I mean, the leader of the free world, you want to talk about it, but at the end of the day, man, like, like you have to have a, a high me- amount of mental fitness to be able to do this. And uh, he's had an interesting turn, whether it be Alzheimer's or some form of dementia or something that's happening neuro- neurological. And when I look, I feel really just embarrassed and really sad for that dude that he, you know, I mean, and the people that are pushing him and propping him up and getting him out there and doing all this are really to blame for it. I mean, somebody needs to be like, hey, this isn't, this isn't dignifying. And uh, if it was my grandfather or if it was, you know, my dad or somebody, I would be like, this is a problem. Like, I don't want him to be remembered like this. And this is some form of elderly abuse. Yeah, but how do you start to question those people behind him pulling the strings, right? Well, like there's... Well, they don't... I mean, they don't give a shit. No, that's the problem. Yeah, no. I mean, their their vested interest is pushing their own it, agenda. Right. And, uh, you know, not necessarily like the dignity of an individual. I mean, uh, you know, even at the end of Ronald Reagan's uh, time, like he had like something going on, whether it was a stroke, but of course there was no social media. So, you know, you would see him get up and he would deliver, but you can see the difference in Reagan, like early on when he was on Johnny Carson and when like the presentations or whatever, and you can see what happened at the end of his presidency, where mm-hmm. I think that they were just trying to just get him to the end and uh, like the, the speeches and all that. And like, but unfortunately you had to turn on the TV and like the newspapers weren't going to necessarily report on it. And so, you know, Nancy Reagan, who was, uh, his wife was, was real instrumental to the point where, you know, the, the, you know, conspiracy theories might jump on this one, but that she was making all the decisions and signing his name on a bunch of stuff. So if you want to check that one, Tex. Um, Fact checker, Tex. So um, that's an interesting piece, but like there was a deal where they were trying to protect his legacy and they were trying to like protect what he had done and, you know, had handlers around him to kind of push this whole deal through. I mean, but uh, this deal with Biden, like, I mean, he, because we are in such a situation where the media is so forefront with social media and this and like every little bit is, you know, like it's not like, I mean, and it's instantly shared. I mean, there's cameras everywhere and reporters and this and this and you see it and you're like, I, I, like this is, uh, this is a real problem. It's, and, it's, and, and I'm not saying it like, uh, you know, as a, um, uh, you know, anything political, I'm just saying it as a human mm-hmm. and as a person who, you know, I watched my dad, you know, f- you know, cancer take him and I watched that, you know, break down and I watched that whole thing and I see this and I'm like, man, this is a dude who's doesn't have his mental fitness and his mental faculties and is not operating at 100 percent. And they're just propping him up because this is the guy that they need to go out and push their agenda. And it's 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 fucking awful. Yeah. Everything's magnified and you could like feel the pain, right? You can feel what he's going through. Well, right? I mean, whether or not whether or not you agree with him or not. Well, I but mean, I mean, he's sitting up there giving talks, and all of a sudden, like the guy will have like a, you know, and it, it's pretty. It, they call them senior moments, right? Like, I mean, this is something like like I I, I remember my mom joking around. And she's like, oh, you know, your grandfather had a senior moment, which is like all of a sudden they would just kind of forget or get forgetful, or just like train of thought would stop, and all of a sudden he's like mid train of thought, and he'll put his hand up. And you've heard it, and you're like, dude, this is a legitimate senior moment. Like, he is, uh, like, something is going on. And, like, it's, it's pretty interesting within, like, the face and the eyes, and you can mm-hmm. see it. And you're like, how, how come nobody's not, how come somebody's not saying anything about this? How come somebody's not, you know, being like, hey, like, this, is, this isn't fair to this individual to put him in this situation? Like, to, I mean, think about the pressure and the stress 
and dealing with these situations and reporters and analyzing and everything that you are doing is in a microcosm of analyzing and the microscope and everything that you've done, every signature is, you know, questions. And there's people that's all they do is check that information and push, push, push. I mean, you would have to be like, like, like the well, mental we, fatigue. Yeah, we saw the aging, the accelerated aging of Obama. W and Obama. Mm -hmm. uh, the only person that actually looked like he got younger was Trump. I think Trump <laughs> was it's a party I, for him. No, I I really think uh, Trump was uh, such an interesting narcissist that who survives off of like just controversy. Power. Power. It's like a, a fictional bad guy that feeds the, off uh, the oh energy. yeah, like uh, well, like the negative energy and the turmoil and the battle and the strife. Like that dude probably just like popped out of bed every day and was like, who am I going to fight today? And like, that was, I think what got, I mean, cause he, he's not a drinker. Right? right. And he like, he, you know, crushes, uh, fucking diet, Kentucky, Cokes. diet Cokes and Kentucky fried chicken. So he's not a drinker. Like Obama was a drinker. He like would brew beer and they, you know, he liked to have a few drinks and, he, w, and he, w was, uh, he quit, quit the sauce and, before uh, his presidency. Um, Obama was a big smoker too. Uh -huh. Yeah. So Obama, uh, W dipped like, uh, like, I don't know if he still dipped, and then it was when a mile. I met him when he came and met us on the campaign trail. He had he had okay. the I, I don't biggest know. dip in I've ever seen, and I I know he to, was to, to the point where he was like roll like when he was like this like when they did the the pictures he was like trying to roll it in got it was, the draw oh yeah oh, I um, do appreciate I'm I'm a fan the uh, but uh, and he he was committed to physical exercise and yeah. weight training yeah so Obama was super fit uh, you know played basketball and like you know like to me. Uh, was very presidential in all of his speaking and like whenever he got up there like you got up and that dude was switched on like you saw him like uh, one of my favorite moments was uh, when the USA basketball was playing and like LeBron and those guys were killing it and Obama's sitting courtside you know with his wife and like he's up there cheering and just like the dudes like it was uh, it, it was a cool moment um, and I think, at least for me personally, what I want to see in a president or, or as a leader is I want to see somebody who's not only fit, but I want to see somebody that's sharp as a tack and somebody who's out there putting confidence in the people in, a, in an unconfident time. And to see a world leader stand up there and have senior moments and get forgetful and then you know dribble on. I mean, I, I look at it and I'm like, man, I feel, uh, I feel really awful for this dude. And I feel awful that this is how he'll be remembered and this is his legacy. And more importantly, that they pushed him into this because I don't believe that, uh, um, you know, if he was firing on 100%, he would even be in this situation. I mean, it's like just wind him up, put him out there, make him look like a fool. And that's, that's hard to watch for me. Is that a product of the environment? Um, I think it's uh, the powers that be and uh, you know uh, whether it be big tech, I mean, think about this, right? Like, I mean, think about the power of big tech and the money and like you know Twitter, Facebook, and all the social media and everything. Everything basically betting on that individual to be that world leader. I mean, think about the amount of backing he had. Like, I think I saw the the uh, the statistic that Mark Zuckerberg's um, nonprofits to that he was investing in to guarantee what was it? Um, fair elections he invested something like 51 million just in georgia alone which isn't necessarily a very big swing state 
and just 51 million is what they had in just Georgia alone. So I mean, they they were ex, you know, uh, putting it in the billions of dollars that he privately funded into these different things. So I mean, there's a ton of money and a ton of influence behind that individual. Um, and the hardest part is just looking at him and being like, man, I feel really embarrassed and I feel really sad that he's, he's in this situation. I mean, cause nobody wants to look like a, like a, an aging forgetful old man. Like, like that's, you know, there's a reason that old actresses don't go out and walk the red carpet because they're afraid that people are going to remember them as they are today, not as they were. And I think like that idea of like legacy and all that is so important. And when I see that with Biden, man, I feel like I, I was watching some of the clips from uh, the, the summit and this, and it's just like, dude, this is really, this isn't good. So it's a sad deal. So. Asked and answered. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. hey, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. I'm John Wellborn. I'm joined by Tex and uh, Dr. Matt Zanis. And till we meet again. Bye. 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 Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!